This was a, a big UK study, 26 hospitals. They randomized patients to get cell salvage or not. They looked at over 3,000 patients, of which um, more than 750 patients received the blood back. Okay, so this is by far the biggest study on obstetric cell salvage. And uh, there, there were a number of sort of um, minor issues, a few sort of technical issues with the cell saver machine. Um, but there were only two adverse reactions, both of which related to the leukocyte depletion filter. And in fact, in the, out of the 18 adverse reactions they recorded, 16 were in fact considered to be related to the filter, and two of them were serious. When blood goes through this filter, you can get this substance called bradykinin release, which causes hypotension. And this has been reported in many case reports, and um, they had some of these cases in this series. Welcome to episode 41 of the Obstetrics and Gynae Quick Care Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome back to part two of our series on obstetric cell salvage. This week we have um, the audio of Dr. Matt Rutledge discussing various aspects of obstetric cell salvage. And if anyone is interested and wants to watch the video version, which also has um, the PowerPoint slides, follow the link on the website. Thanks, Matt. What I will say, though, Cheryl, that was great and uh, really emphasised the importance of the person holding the sucker. And I think the days where we used to, a medical student would wander in and would give them the cells to salvage sucker have got to finish. You know, it's really, really important to know what you're doing and it can really improve how we do. Uh, with cell salvage, so um, that's a, an important point to take home. So I'm going to focus on the uh, the obstetric side of things because that's predominantly uh, where we use cell salvage here. And obstetrics was uh, relatively late to the party. When you look at the history of cell salvage, uh, obstetrics came fairly late because of the risks of amniotic fluid embolism and dirty surgery and some fetal concerns as well. Um, but since we've started using it, it's become a real growth area. And whereas other surgical areas have become more minimally invasive, obstetrics, um, I can't quite see how we're going to go minimally invasive in, in obstetrics. There's probably a way, I haven't thought of it yet. Uh, but we seem to be seeing more bleeding, so this is a growth area. Um, having said that, the first reports of um, obstetric autologous transfusion go way back to the 19th century from this dashing guy called James Blundell, who was a physician surgeon uh, in the UK, who described various techniques. And I, I think the hematologists would look at this man as being the, um, the start of blood transfusion. So he, he devised this slightly scary contraption called the gravitometer, where somebody would stand up, uh, let their blood into this device, and presumably once they sort of fell over, they'd probably donated enough blood. Um, but he also looked at washing swabs, uh, just what Cheryl's been talking about. But this was before the days of um, ABO blood compatibility testing, so the results weren't entirely successful. Um, but it, the origins of cell salvage go back to this time. But it wasn't really until about the 19, late 1990s in obstetrics that we started using cell salvage. 
Um, so I've mentioned it's a growth industry. Uh, there are increasing deaths reported from obstetric hemorrhage in the maternal mortality reports around the country and around the world. And interestingly, in the most recent UK confidential inquiry, so this is a big report of all the maternal deaths that happened across the UK. For the first time, they've mentioned this potential uh, increase in hemorrhage deaths due to problems with where your placenta is, so placenta accreta, increta, percreta. And we're just beginning to see those signals coming through. Um, so we need to keep an eye on that, and that's where cell salvage is going to be very useful. There are challenges, though, because obstetric hemorrhage, as we all know, um, happens, it doesn't just happen nine to five daylight hours. During the week, it happens unpredictably, um, and it's often hard to estimate how much someone's going to bleed and whether you're going to need cell salvage. Um, it's often very rapid, the blood loss. And um, there are lots of other things going on at that time where we need um, extra pairs of hands. So there are challenges. Now, we haven't really mentioned the benefits of cell salvage, but hopefully most of you realize it's all about reducing the uh, risk of requiring donor blood. So um, by reducing that risk, there are a huge number of benefits uh, to the patient. Uh, there may also be cost savings, and cell salvage blood is also better blood in some respects. It hasn't been stored for a long time, uh, and the red cells work better. So if we can get a good product, then that's a benefit. Now, there are downsides, and I think it's, it will be wrong of me not to mention some of the downsides. It does cost money to have a machine. Uh, there are disposable costs. There are staff training, availability this term staff buy-in. To me, that means not rolling the eyes when you ask for cell salvage. Um, and there are potential complications as well. And this is related to blood. We've got to be super, super, super careful with any blood-related product. And we should have the same um, attention to detail when we're using cell salvage as we do with donor blood. I think that's really, really important. So if who was paying attention? What's in cell salvage blood? Very good, yeah. I didn't really appreciate this for years when I was doing this. It is just red cells. And that's really important. for if, if we've got a big bleed and we're salvaging lots of blood and we think, well, we're doing really, really well here, just remember we're not giving them any clotting products back, so we still need to keep a close eye on coagulation uh, and replace fibrinogen and platelets and other clotting factors. So these are the sort of things I often hear. Um, difficult to predict the ones that will bleed. Uh, the cell salvage suction doesn't work very well, which uh, Shell's mentioned. Not sure about all that amniotic fluid. That's got to be a bad thing to get that into the suction. The leukocyte depletion filter restricts the flow of blood too much. So it's been a requirement for uh, reinfusing blood salvaged at obstetric cases to put it through a filter, which has a much sort of tighter membrane than a uh, standard blood transfusion filter. But we'll talk about that but it does slow down the blood. Uh, too much other stuff to do in a massive obstetric hemorrhage to get the cell saver out. Loads of blood ends up in the swabs anyway. We've covered that. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about guidelines and, and who we follow and where we get our uh, information on, on how to do this safely. And that really in Australia comes from the National Blood Authority. Now they've got a number of guidelines, including this <coughs> uh, published in 2014 guidance for the provision of intraoperative cell salvage. And it's a good document. Uh, now, when you read through it, it says that this guidance is based on the UK Cell Salvage Action Group document policy. 
and the UK Cell Salvage Action Group is part of the UK National Patient Blood Management Steering Group, which basically oversees a lot of transfusion practice in the UK. So you go to that, uh, and they have a lot of guidelines on interoperative cell salvage. Now, a lot of this has come from the UK, and so currently the Australian um, Blood Transfusion Service references the guidance from the UK. Now, this was all done in 2014. Now, literally in the last month or two, there have been some new guidelines that have come out, and these have come out from the Association of Anaesthetists of Great Britain and Ireland. Um, and the association was initially in, endorsed the original UK Cell Salvage Action Group guidelines. They're all kind of interrelated. But these guidelines have just come out, and they've been endorsed by a number of uh, well-known bodies within the UK, including the um, Royal College of Anaesthetists and the Royal College of Surgeons of UK, and the Paediatric Anaesthetists and the Association for Perioperative Practice. So widespread uh, bodies have endorsed these very, very recently published guidelines, which are slightly different to previous guidelines. So we just have to wait and see whether these are then picked up by the Australian guidelines. So it's just important that um, just to make clear that these guidelines aren't necessarily endorsed by Australian practice as yet, but I suspect they will be. And I've just taken a few quotes from these guidelines. Um, and they include that cell salvage is a key part of patient blood management and its use should increase where possible. Uh, they say there are no absolute contraindications. And I think that's, that's a really important thing to recall. It's all a, a risk-benefit thing. And clearly, we've got to be safe and not suck in the, uh, the wrong things. But there are no absolute contraindications, be that cancer, be that pregnancy, bowel contamination, all these other things. Just some sort of uh, goals as to when you might use it. Consider if you've got an estimated blood loss of more than 500 mils. Consider if you are anemic. Uh, consider if you have religious objection to blood transfusion. I think we'll probably all agree those are sensible considerations. Cheryl might like this statement. It is preferable to use only one type of machine in an institution. Um, I think that makes perfectly good sense you know and I think that goes across all boards in surgery and if you've got lots of different types of machines for different individuals um, there are probably going to be uh, cost savings that we could make by going down one route uh, but more importantly um, just having a standardized way of doing things is probably better when reinfusing cell safe blood provide the same bedside checks as when transfusing allergenic donor blood and again even though most of the time we've got the blood transfusion next to the patient, we've got to be very, very, very cautious. Um, every so often a patient, the machine's still going in theatre when the patient's left theatre and it's still processing the blood. Be very, very careful when you wander down to recovery with that bag of blood. Um, just go through the same checks. Wherever possible, we should transfuse the blood next to the patient. And uh, the guidelines also state it should be available for immediate use 24 hours a day in any hospital undergoing surgery apart from minor day case surgery. Okay, so that's quite a strong statement. That's suggesting um, not just elective for emergency, uh, this device should be immediately available to be used. And of course that goes with appropriate manpower to use that device. So, um, so some of the things we hear, difficult to predict the ones that will bleed, and I think that's entirely true. It's very hard sometimes to um, 
know who's going to bleed during a, an obstetric case, but there are the obvious ones. You know, we see it here, the, the ones with what we refer to now as abnormal placentation, so accreta, percreta, increta. Anyone who's coming up to theatre who's already coagulopathic or perhaps low platelets, uh, we should use it. I guess the likely ones often um, occur out of hours. So these are um, likely uterine atonies, so those women that have been in labour for days on um, syntocinon on, on, um, and they've been labouring for a long time and then at delivery, as you've all experienced, the uterus doesn't really want to do much. Uh, multiple pregnancy, low-line placenta, complex surgery, some obesity as well. Um, and I guess the, uh, these aren't necessarily going to bleed, but um, refusal of donor blood. And I just put it to you, um, should we be cell-saving all Jehovah's Witness patients having a caesarean section? That includes patients presenting at 3 o'clock in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning. Personally, I would say as our tertiary centre, the answer should be yes, but we can discuss that um, at the end. Now, with respect to whether it's all a waste of money or not, um, and how you go about deciding who's going to bleed or not, this group in Liverpool, which is where David Owen used to work, they kind of reverse engineered the discussion, and, and they'd say, well, look, we shall use it for everybody apart from the low-risk people. And the low-risk um, people for bleeding were considered to be those for just first cesarean section for breach, um, if they'd had a previous um, perineal tear, one previous cesarean section or maternal request. And then that made the sort of decision-making as to whether you were going to use it or not easier. And they found in their institution using that approach it was cost-effective. We talked about the cell salvage suction not working very well. And it's kind of working as well as it's meant to work. Um, it just can't go on very high suction. The, the difficulty is, if you've got a big bleed and the surgeons uh, can't see what they're doing, you're at risk of bleeding more because you can't get control. And so in that situation, if we are using the cell saver sucker, there's a couple of approaches we've got. Um, one is to just get in another sucker to clear the blood so they can actually see what they're doing. Uh, another approach is just to turn up the suction on the cell saver so it becomes like a normal sucker and then remember to turn it down. The reason we don't go high on the sucker is because of the damage to the red cells and the risk of um, having a bad product at the end. So it's very important that you know we want to get as much blood into the cell saver sucker as we can but sometimes if it's pouring over the sides of the patient and the surgeons can't see what they're doing we need to clear that blood and we need to um, uh, allow them to get on with the operation. So so those are the two options I've suggested. Uh, interrupting Matt's talk to make a little comment, um, which uh, was in the talk, but which didn't record very well because I was in the audience. So I just uh, made a quick suggestion at this stage of the talk that um, one alternative to using a standard suction to clear the surgical field when the bleeding is so brisk that they can't see what they're doing uh, would be to consider um, getting one of the members of the surgical team to apply manual aortic compression at the level of the umbilicus. This would have two um, beneficial effects. One, obviously, um, it could stop the bleeding temporarily and allow them to clear the surgical field with, a, with the cell salvage sucker. And also, obviously, it's going to stop um, bleeding and um, be more beneficial for the patient uh, to prevent the uh, uh, hypovolemia. Sounds very sensible. Uh, right, so all that amniotic fluid. I'm not sure about that. So... Um, there are ways around this, and um, we can uh, use a separate sucker and try and get most of the amniotic fluid into another sucker. 
And then once we've processed all the blood and we've got it back in the bag to give, we can put on the, the leukocyte depletion filter, which is this adhesion filter that's going to filter out a lot more stuff. And, and this is kind of what we've been doing over the years. Um, now, I have to say all of that is um, very controversial. Okay, and we'll, we'll discuss this now. It kind of makes sense. But then if you think about we're going to try and get all the amniotic fluid into this sucker, there's going to be some elsewhere, isn't there? You know, we, we can't divide it entirely. Um, and uh, the concerns were that if you're putting all the amniotic, well, some elements of what's in amniotic fluid back into the circulation, there's a risk of amniotic fluid embolism, which, as you know, can be a pretty serious thing. But that's highly controversial. So this is um, the leukocyte depletion filter, which is well known to many of us because we're forever holding it like that, thinking, come on, you bastard, run. Um, and uh, I've sort of become at peace with this because um, I've realized it doesn't run particularly fast because it's doing exactly what it's designed to do, which is filter to a greater extent. But when you're wanting to get blood back in a patient quickly, this can be quite... Um, uh, quite annoying, and there are other things associated with it. So um, let's look at some evidence now. So there hasn't been a huge amount of studies on obstetric cell salvage, and this was published in 2015, and uh, from a number of patients transfused, they add up to about 250, and they were looking at adverse outcomes. And uh, there are essentially no serious adverse outcomes apart from um, one related to the filter. No evidence of any cases of amniotic fluid embolism. Now, since this time, there has been a much larger study. And this was just published last year, UK study, 26 hospitals. They randomized patients to get cell salvage or not. They looked at over 3,000 patients, of which uh, more than 750 patients received the blood back. Okay, so this is by far the biggest study on obstetric cell salvage. And uh, there, there were a number of sort of um, minor issues, a few sort of technical issues with the cell saver machine, um, but there were only two adverse reactions, both of which related to the leukocyte depletion filter. And in fact, in the, out of the 18 adverse reactions they recorded, 16 were in fact considered to be related to the filter and two of them were serious. When blood goes through this filter, you can get this substance called bradykinin release, which causes hypotension. And this has been reported in many case reports, and um, they had some of these cases in this series. What they concluded was that concerns about the risk of amniotic fluid embolism should not be a barrier to the deployment of a cell salvage. So, two suckers, to suck or not to suck. One of our theater nurses contemplating that very question with two suckers there. And there's very good evidence that the process of the cell saver removes a lot of the amniotic fluid contaminants. Um, but having said that, most guidelines recommend using two suctions devices. So it's, it's, it puts us and other hospitals in a slight dilemma. So our current guidelines uh, use separate suction for amniotic fluid in large hemorrhage you may use a cell saver sucker only. In anticipated large hemorrhage, you may use cell saver sucker only. Okay, now we're probably, we're tweaking these all the time and they're currently under review. Um, but what I want to really highlight is that the amniotic fluid side of things isn't anything to worry about. So let's just 
remind ourselves there are no proven cases of amniotic fluid embolism with cell salvage, and it's been used many thousands of times. One sucker practice around the world is common, and the usefulness of the leukocyte depletion filter is debatable. And just to sort of highlight this, so going back to the Salvo study, so this was the study, 3,000 women, more than 750 women um, had cell-saved blood returned. And if you look at the number of suckers used, they didn't, in the methodology, they didn't, um, they didn't specify you needed to use one or two. They said, well, you do what you normally do at your institutions. And uh, more, so 58% used just one sucker. So these were 26 units selected for this uh, study within the UK. And 60% of those 26 units just use one sucker all the time. And what's kind of interesting, when you look at the leukocyte depletion filter, whether it was used or not, um, about half the time, people are transfusing blood in the UK, certainly in this group of uh, centres in the study, without using a leukocyte depletion filter. So um, let's just return back to the guidelines that have just come out and what, what do they say about the amniotic fluid and uh, leukocyte depletion filter. So the association needs this 2018 guidelines suggest a double suction technique may reduce initial contamination, but in vitro studies consistently, I put in the italics there, they didn't, uh, demonstrate the cell salvage process can effectively remove plasma phase elements of amniotic fluid. The use of leukocyte depletion filters should be considered, but these slow reinfusion rates and evidence for their effectiveness is mixed. Uh, you can't force blood through them. That's a very bad thing to do. Uh, and the other thing you have to think about is you have to replace them as well after an unspecified number of transfusions through them. And they do have the potential to cause these serious um, hypertensive-related episodes. The working party decided not to recommend routine use of double suction or leukocyte depletion filters in obstetric practice. So that doesn't say everyone just use one sucker or everyone never use these filters. It's suggesting if you want to use one sucker, if you don't want to use a leukocyte depletion filter, there is enough evidence just that is not an inappropriate thing to do. So um, I think there's a little bit of clarity, but these guidelines, again, they're guidelines, of course, they're not protocols, um, but they're providing a little bit of a framework for how we can operate. We mentioned the swabs, and I think out of all the um, surgery where we lose blood, a lot ends up in the swabs, and I think if we can <clears throat> optimise this, we will get better returns. And, uh, I mean, you can see that last bowl. I mean, it looks just like a bowl of blood to me, and there's a huge amount of blood that you can get out of the swabs um, and follow Cheryl's guidance just with very gentle agitation so we don't damage the red cells. Just a word about uh, rhesus sensitization, and this is, this is important, though hopefully with the frameworks within hospitals and the pathways that are followed for rhesus-negative women who have rhesus-positive babies, it shouldn't be a problem. We've just got to keep an eye on this. The cell saver doesn't recognize fetal cells or maternal cells, and there's a risk, uh, a higher risk with cell salvage that you get more fetal-maternal hemorrhage. And this carries a risk of hemolytic disease of the newborn in rhesus-negative women who have rhesus-positive babies in future pregnancies uh, unless appropriate anti-D is given. So that's, this is kind of important because we probably need to highlight the rhesus-negative women maybe a little bit more, but hopefully, I'm glad to see Matt's here, hopefully um, the, the process by which we can assess the degree of 
um, fetal maternal hemorrhage and giving the appropriate anti-D is, uh, is already there. But there are just some minor concerns with longer-term issues with this because it's not really being followed up. Um, as we all know, there's loads of stuff going on in a massive hemorrhage. Um, and sometimes the cell saver seems like the last thing you want to do. And that's fair enough. Obviously, ABC, uh, we need to focus on the important things. We can get the uh, collect-only system set up pretty quickly. I reckon you can do it in about 50 seconds if the equipment is nearby. Uh, using the pre-made anticoagulant bag, using the best top-of-the-range machine. Cheryl, I hear there's a new one coming out. Yes, there is. <laughs> As I said, your favourite rep. Uh, and, um, and I guess uh, educate and infuse, and, um, and I guess this is all part of that. And remember that if you do just collect the blood and it's anticoagulated, it can actually sit in the... Um, uh, the, the easy bit is collecting the blood. The, the more tricky bit is processing it. Uh, but it can just sit in that reservoir for four hours. So if we don't have somebody to process it, uh, we could always find somebody. Um, just to highlight safety, really, really, really important. I, and I think this hospital has a really good approach to that, um, certainly in the uh, haematology side. And I know that there's good governance and ongoing audit with all we do with our cell salvage um, patients. And remember those usual checks, just be very careful, this is blood. We're giving it back to somebody, hopefully to the right person. Um, so there's probably scope to increase our cell salvage at King Edward. Uh, swab washing, really good. I'll probably add in this, the you know, the two most important people, the one on at either end of the machine, I guess, the one holding the sucker, really, really, really important. And um, we have dropped the sucker a few times, actually, so it'd be good that you're here just to think of a way that it doesn't end up on the floor, because that's always a bit disappointing um, if it falls on the floor. Um, but really, really important for the person holding the sucker, the person at the other end of the machine, obviously very important, the person making the decision as to whether to give the blood back or not. Um, we're going to be using one sucker much more frequently now, um, because the evidence suggests that is appropriate to do. And uh, whether we use a leukocyte depletion filter consistently, I suspect will change as well. If we want to get the blood back in relatively fast, we won't be using it, but we will be using a standard blood um, giving set. And of course, just keep it safe. Thanks very much. We can take questions for both Cheryl and myself, if there are any. So I've just got a uh, comment about you know, how do we decide whether or not to use one sucker or not. So it's in my head, um, I often uh, um, think to myself, has the patient actually got much ambulance fluid? So, so for example, the woman coming up for emergency caesareans from downstairs who have been in labour have had a shrum or an ARM already, um, you know, most of the ambulance fluid, well, not the ambulance fluid's gone anyway, so it seems to me anyway, hmm. it's not really a, uh, any point to having two suckers. Um, so there'll be something... Yeah, I think that's a yeah, very reasonable. And sometimes, you have to remember, if you're putting everything into one sucker and you've got a lot of amniotic fluid, it can overwhelm the cell salvage sucker. It can pretty much fill it with amniotic fluid. Uh, and then you've got to get rid of that. That's all got to go through the processing system. So in those situations, that's not necessarily helpful. So, so there are times when two suckers is entirely a good idea. And yeah. So, so I guess these decisions would be best made at timeout. You know, we're going to use cell salvage here. Are we going to use one sucker, two suckers? 
the filter. The um, I guess the, the the placenta cases where sometimes we're getting blood right from the start. You know, for me those are a one sucker case. Um, but you might also want to have a standard sucker on standby just in case you need to get rid of a bit more blood at the time. Um, but some of these more elective settings where there's clearly lots of amniotic fluid, then, then doing what we've been doing for many years is entirely the right thing to do. I think what we're trying to just get over is don't worry about seeing all the amniotic fluid going into the cell saver. That is, that is okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. If you like the show, please go to the Apple Podcast venue and rate us and give us a review. Um, and also feel free to go to the website, uh, org, where there will be links to relevant articles and show notes. Thanks for listening.